Well, welcome everybody to the start of a brand new collection of sermons that I am so honored, so grateful, and so excited that you are joining us for. It's a collection of sermons that we are calling All Love Everything. And if it sounds familiar in its title, that's because you, like me, listen to Aloe Black. Thank you, Aloe, for the title of this series, All Love Everything. We're in this month of love, this month of the celebration of relationship, the celebration of those people that we love. And what better time to take as the focus of our teaching, the focus of our receiving from God's word for a few weeks, than this idea that is love. Now, over the next couple of weeks, what we are going to do in these future installments of this series is really move into the love that happens on a human-to-human level. Come on, with people that you really do love. And, and how do we love them better? And why sometimes do people that we love, we can't feel love back from? We're going to go there. We're also going to learn how to love people who suck the life out of us. Because there are people like that. You don't have to elbow them if they sit next to you on a couch. It's okay. Like, like there are people in our lives and they're not bad people. They are just people that for whatever reason, maybe because of their personality, maybe because of just how we see the world, maybe because of what they're interested in and what we're interested in, somehow they get around you and, man, they suck the life out of you. But yet God has called us to love them. And so how do we do that and do that well? And we're going to go there together. But until we see God's love right personally, we can't love others right. And so today, as we begin this series, whether you're joining us at church online or you're listening to the podcast, welcome. Come on, you, you're watching this on YouTube. I'm so glad you're tuned in. I want to help you as we begin to start to get and to start to see the love of God correctly, which will then enable you to love others well. See, we can't approach loving all people well without first comprehending and receiving love from the one that the scripture actually says is love. Do you know that about God? Love is not something that God does. Love is who God is. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, let us love one another. Why? Well, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And this verse in many ways, this two verses, really serves as like a theme for us because he says in verse 8, whoever does not love others does not know God. So if you don't love people who suck the life out of you, if you don't know how to love people who you really do feel love for, but you don't know how to demonstrate love to, you actually don't know God. And so I want to help you in this, in these upcoming weeks, in this little collection of sermons that we are doing together. But the reason that the love that we demonstrate is so significant the reason that the love comes from, that comes from us is so important as people of faith is because, like he says, God is love. Now, if there is a list of verses that people on today love to take out of context about God and make it mean something about God that is not true about God, this may be right up there at the top of the list. I can't tell you how many times I've interacted with people who um, want to just tell me, well, th that can't be God because, you know, God is love. But they do not mean it the way the scripture means. They mean it by their subjective understanding and definition of love. They mean it because something didn't happen the way they wanted it to. And so they say, well, that can't be God because God is love. No, no, no. What you are saying is that you think God is nice by your definition of nice. Hear me. If you're taking notes today, write this down. God is not love as we subjectively define love, but as he eternally demonstrates love. 
I know that's a, that's a weighty thought. That's why I had you write it down. Come on, you can write it down in your own paper. You can download the notes and write it down. You can use our app and write it down. God is not love as we, you and I, subjectively define love, which we do all day, every day. Good people, bad people, people of faith, not people of faith. We say this is love, this isn't love, this is loving, this isn't loving. God is not love as you and I subjectively define him. He is love as he eternally demonstrates it. And much of why we don't know how to love people well is rooted in our misunderstanding and misrepresentation of God loving us. Why? Because, well, as people living in our world in any day and time, but especially today, we love to um, change our definitions and our understandings of what we mean by things, including love. Now, I don't really think of myself as old, but I'm getting older, like we all are. I've lived long enough to see a few things. And uh, I'm old enough, as they say, to remember a day where what was generally considered loving as a parent to a child, when that child were to misbehave, was to do a thing, and please, just hear me as an illustration, was to spank your child. Now, I know some of you are shouting, you jumped up, you waving a hanky up in your living room. I, I, I hear you. In general, in today's world, <laughs> most people do not view spanking children as a loving expression of correction. Because our definition of what it means to be loving, our definition of what it means to be a good parent, our definition of what it means to actually care for, to raise our kids, seems to be moving Constantly. But there was a day, and it just ain't today, where what was considered widely, look, you didn't have to go hide in the restroom to spank your child. You spanked them in the middle of the restaurant. In fact, you would get a high five from a fellow father, a fellow mother probably, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, you better show them, I saw them acting up at the table. Like, there was a time where people that didn't even know you would spank you. Because they were trying to raise you too. In general, that's not considered loving anymore. You know why? Because our definition and our understanding of what love is has changed. I didn't say change for the better. I just said change. See, we think it's loving to forgive people until somebody does something or a group of people does, does something that we can't forget. And then because we can't forget it, we subjectively say, I won't forget it, therefore I won't forgive. And now that is loving. When in a different instance, it was loving to forgive. See, our definitions and our understanding of love changes constantly. And that's why quite honestly for us, because we don't go back to the one who is love for understanding, we don't even know what love is looks like. God's love to us and for us is what provides the foundation of our love to everyone else. So if you don't see his love rightly for you, you won't be able to love anyone rightly. If you don't see the one who is love and his love for you correctly, then your manifestation and demonstration of love based on your understanding of love will always be faulty and wrong. So how is God and his love shown? John says, 1 John chapter 4, God is love. But there's a consistent presentation of God throughout the scripture. God is always presented to us as our Father in heaven. That is not up for debate. It is not up for conversation, although some want to make it a piece of conversation. He is our Father in heaven. So much so that those of you who are people of faith listening today, watching today, people who have a faith in Jesus, it was Jesus himself, the Son of God, who died for your sin and for mine, 
who actually told us when we pray, we pray like this. We address God as our Father in heaven. It's the consistent and clear presentation of who God is all throughout Scripture. Now, the power of the Father in the home today has been widely circulated. The significance of having fathers in homes and the the, the damage that it does to not have a father in a home is, is circulated by psychologists and sociologists, by educators, pastors, preachers, teachers alike. And spiritually, the presence of a believing father is so significant. In fact, there have been many, many studies done for, for decades now on why a student, maybe in middle school or high school, who attends church, who loves Jesus, who uh, is involved in the things of God would, as the, as the phrase will sometimes be said, graduate from faith. Why is it that someone when they're 16, 15, 14, 18 years old, they have this vibrant love and faith in Jesus, but yet you find them at 25 and they, and they don't want nothing to do with God or the church? Why is that the case? Well, there have been a lot of reasons that people point to. And a lot of things that can be good in helping kids when they're 13 and 17 be able to have this faith that sticks. But the number one, and it's not even close to number two, the number one thing that can make sure the faith sticks in the heart of a child and it becomes the faith that they carry and have when they're older is a believing father. A father who loves Jesus, a father in their home who goes to church, a father in their home who prioritizes the house of God and the things of God. They see that example day in and day out. They see their dad concerned about God and the things of God. You like, whoa, why do we pivot? We're talking about God, our father, and we're talking about our earthly father. Exactly. There is a direct connection. You hear me, come on. There is a direct connection. I'm trying to help some of you and your problems with God's love to you. I'm trying to help some of you and the disconnect and the fractured and fra fragile nature of what you feel like your love for God and God's love to you is. You hear me. There is a direct connection in how one sees God based on our relationship with our Father. To say it another way, what you think about your Father on earth becomes part of your initial thinking when you begin to think about God, your Father, in heaven. This is a reality we must understand because many of us don't think the best thoughts when we think about our Father here on earth. Some of you, when I start talking about your Father here on earth, you start thinking about someone who's been absent from your life all of your life. Some of you, when I start talking about your father here on earth, you think of someone who shows up when it's convenient. But to be consistent in your life is not a characteristic they ever modeled for you. And I understand that. I understand it personally, but also understand it in our community. Do you know in Memphis, 60% of kids growing up right now, 60% of kids growing up in homes right now in the city of Memphis are living in single parent homes. And over 95% of those single-parent homes are led by single moms. Now, you may think I'm overstating something. It's very different here than it is in the state of Tennessee. But these are statistics pulled from the Urban Child Institute right here in Memphis. I only mention that to bring to light the fact that there are many of us under the sound of my voice, many of you listening to this podcast, and maybe what's true about you is your father has been absent your whole life. What's true about you is you don't know your father. What's true about you is your father, you know who he is, but he don't really know you because he's never been concerned about you. What you know about your father is that he shows up when it's convenient, but then he bounces every time it gets hard. That is your understanding of your earthly father. And I came to turn a light on for you today to help you just realize that some of what you're putting on God is what your earthly father put on you. 
Some of what you lay on how you see God in his love for you is what you experienced from your earthly father. That's the reason you feel like every time life gets a little hard, God walked out on you because that's exactly what your earthly father did. That's the reason you feel like every time you make a mistake, God must just be seething up in heaven because every time you made a mistake, that's what your earthly father did. The reason that some of you don't believe that God is consistent and caring for you and he's with you in the ups and the downs is because you never saw that from your earthly father. Because part of what you think of when you think of your father in heaven is your father on earth. And because no father is perfect, even if you had a, a good father, even if you have a good father, he ain't perfect. He makes mistakes. I know as a, as a practicing father, I try my best, but baby, don't get it twisted. I ain't perfect. I screw up. I say things I should not say. I don't show up when I should show up sometimes. And I also understand as a person of faith and as someone who preaches and teaches the gospel of Jesus to people who understands the impact of the father. on I understand that I am affecting my son spiritually, not just practically, by who I am as a father. I get it. But these are obstacles we must overcome. Because there's a God who loves us, and some of us can't and won't receive his love. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because you don't see it because of what you've seen by the person you call Father. Because there are people to be loved. P people who are trying to be in relationship with you. People who suck the life out of you, and you feel like you don't have it within you to love them. But maybe you could if you would see the love that your heavenly Father has for you. See, for some of you, that's why you think you can't please God. Because you were never able to please your father. That's the reason why some of you don't feel loved by God today. Because you don't feel loved by your earthly father. And how could a father that I can't see love me when the father who could see me didn't want anything to do with me? I understand. And so what we do is we heap the weight and the blame, the guilt and the shame upon ourselves. Thinking somehow our love isn't strong enough. Or God's love to us isn't consistent enough. I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. He said, on the whole, God's love for us is a much safer thing to think about than our love for him. Can I tell you that God loves you? Your father in heaven loves you. He is proud of you. He wants a relationship with you. And he loves you in ways and he loves you on a level that you can't even fathom. And sometimes the reason you can't fathom it is because it doesn't look like the portrayal and presentation of love that you have been handed. There are many places in the scripture where the love of God can be seen. But I'm amazed at the picture of God's love in the moment that humanity fell. Now, even if you're a little familiar with the Bible, there's a good chance that when you think about the love of God being demonstrated to us, the first place you would go is the place when Adam and Eve <laughs> decided to do what God said don't do. And in doing what God said don't do, humanity fell, sin entered the world, and now we have to live and navigate the consequences of sin. But yet, I actually believe it's one of those places where we see God's love for us the clearest. Some of you may be familiar with this. In fact, if you've been coming to church this calendar year, since January, listening to the podcast the last few weeks, actually in about the last six weeks, I believe this is now the fourth time we have gone back to this fall of man on purpose. And we've never double hit the same spot, and we won't on today. But I got to catch some people up because I know some people are listening for the first time. You're watching this on YouTube. You're joining us at church online. You're just beginning this series. It's your first time in church. Let's catch you up on what goes on in Genesis chapter 3 for those that may be unfamiliar with it. 
We're going to spend our time today at the end of the chapter. But to recap, humanity fell when in pride they believed and pursued the temptation of the serpent. Then they realized when they pursued the temptation of the serpent and they did what God said not do, that they were naked. And so they covered themselves with fig leaves and hid from God because they were filled with shame. And God shows up and he addresses what they've done. And he punishes the serpent for deceiving. And he communicates the reality of humanity because of the sin that has been committed and its consequences that live with them in the present. But the end of Genesis chapter 3, we see the love of God continuing to be communicated. Let's read these verses and then we will do some work together today. If you're ready, somebody in the chat say, I'm ready. Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Here's the way the scripture reads. It says, the Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. The Lord God said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. We have such a different perception of love that we don't even recognize love when it presents itself. So much of what we think of when we think of love is, is, is passion and emotion, right? But can I tell you that there's love in sacrifice and in stillness? That there's love, not just in new love as it springs up, but in the faithfulness of, of, of one to another for decades? That there's love that puts, that serves as the driving force to put someone else's wants before your own needs. That's love. And it's not the picture of love that often we are handed, that we are celebrated by and with or for. And it's also love that protects us. Even if we would never call it that. See, what we see in the beginning and from the beginning is God's love protecting humanity. And there are two big realities I want to draw your attention to while helping you to process what we've read and even what happened before what we read. Would you write this down in your notes today as we begin to settle in our heart, settle in our soul the love that God has for us so that we can love people that we see well. Because some of us do not realize that the reason we cannot love our neighbor, we cannot love our family, we cannot love people who frustrate us is simply because we do not receive fully and completely the love that God has for us because we don't even know what it looks like. Please write this down in your notes today. God's love can protect you from your presence shame. God's love has the ability, his love looks like protection for you from your present shame. See, I think the fall of man here in Genesis chapter 3 is such a picture of the love of God because hear me and do not miss this. God is love from the beginning. There are some people that try to see God evolving through the scriptures. That somehow God is love in Jesus. He is love as communicated through the early church. He is love as, as 1 John tells us. But the Old Testament, that's an angry God. The Old Testament, that's a wrath and vengeance filled God. And no, 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 no. You need to understand today. God is love from the beginning. See, it was the love of God. Hear me that instructed them not to eat that junk in the first place. It was the love of God that told them when they were created, you can, you can have anything you want in the garden, but stay away from that. That's love 
Because one of the most unloving things we can do is to not say what will hurt someone before it hurts someone if we know it'll hurt someone. If I know if you take a step on that stair, you're going to fall, but I don't tell you, I just wait for you to fall, it is unloving of me not to tell you that. It is unloving of me not to tell you that that pan is hot, even though it's sitting over there and you think it's fine. It's hot, you better not touch it with your bare hand. You better get a pop. It is unloving of me to know that and not tell that. See, it's the love of God that comes to the creation, humanity that he has made and says, I'm going to give you everything. But that over there isn't good for you. Would you write this down in your notes today? Because it's all love when God warns us. See, we think love is just them little feelings. We think the love of God is that goosebump we feel in a worship service. We think the love of God is that, oh, we think the love of God is when he provides for our needs. And sure, all of those can be manifestations and demonstrations of God's love. But it is love when God warns us. That's why when you read a verse in the scripture that you may not like, like you want to reach for your Sharpie instead of reaching for your highlighter? Just get rid of that one? Like, it's actually God loving you, even though it hurts you, even though it goes against what you think, that's okay. He's warning you because he loves you. That's the reason when a sermon gets preached, whether online or in person, you're there. I know it's sometimes easy online when you start to hear where I may be going or whoever else may be preaching is going. And you're like, I don't really like this. This doesn't really confirm what I had thought in the first place. Maybe that's when you need to lean in. Because maybe it's the spirit of God warning you. Maybe it's God, your father, who loves you, trying to warn you about the direction you're going in, trying to warn you about the way that you're living, trying to warn you about what it is you're prioritizing because he loves you. It's all love when God warns you. Because it is not loving to sit by and let your life be ruined and your future destroyed. Simply because the warning was never given. God loved them. God loves us. And in Genesis 2, he warned them. So clearly that in Genesis 3, when the serpent tempts Eve, she responds to his initial temptation with the warning God gave them. She said, God said, that's not good for us. But in pride, she believed the lie of the enemy more than the warning of God. And so they did what God said not do. And the scripture says that when they did what God said not do, their eyes were opened and they saw their own nakedness. Their nakedness, which was the constant visible reminder of the reality of their sin. Genesis chapter 2, towards the end of it, says that Adam and Eve were naked and knew no shame. You turn the page in Genesis chapter 3 because they did what God said not do. Now every time they walk by some reflective glass, they recognize, oh, I have done what God said don't do. And so what they did is what we all try to do. They tried to um, cover up their shame. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, that they gathered some fig leaves and, and covered themselves. How long are some draws made out of fig leaves about to last? Right? I mean, maybe the fig leaves look good when it was hanging on the tree, but as soon as you break it off, it begins to die. That junk going to be crusty and crumbly and your covering that you thought was so good, like in a day, is going to wither away. And so God, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 27, in love, offers them a better covering. 
Some of you think the story of the gospel starts with Jesus. You don't realize the story of the gospel starts in the beginning. Because God is love. And humanity tried to cover their shame, tried to cover their sinfulness. We try to cover our shame, cover our sinfulness in ways that will not last. But verse 21 tells us that God took the skins of animals and sewed them together and provided covering for them, a better covering for them. That's love. That's love. Friend, it's not only love when God warns us, but it's all love, write this down, when God covers us. When he covers us, not in the feeble and broken and weak and dissolving ways that we try to cover ourselves, but when he covers us for good. Do you understand that literally this is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus? You receive his covering for your sin. But some people live their whole lives recognizing their sin and trying to construct fig leaf coverings for it. They recognize their sin. They recognize their shame. And so they knit together the best that they can to uh, try to cover their shame with their own success. But somehow success becomes a bottomless well and you can never have enough success because this success begins to wither and fade away and now what seemed to cover me so well last season doesn't cover me in this season because I was trying to cover my sin I was trying to cover my shame with my own success and it won't do it some people try to cover themselves with their selfishness and I'm not going to worry about nobody else I'm not going to worry about nothing else but the problem is is your selfishness that may have served you well in one season begins to wither and break and crack and dissolve and it doesn't live up in the next season. Some people try to cover themselves with the fig leaves that are spirituality. And you try to sound holier. And you try to be more faithful. And you try to do all the things to prove to others that you're covered. But the problem is you're walking around in fig leaves. Covering yourself by yourself. When what God, because he loves you, offers to you is a better covering and his name is Jesus he will not wither and he will not fade he will not ever break down so that way your sin shows itself again his covering is faithful his covering is true his covering is good and when you put your faith in what he has done and receive the grace that he has made available for you. Baby, you are covered and you are covered for good because he loves you. I need somebody in the chat that knows Jesus. Somebody in the chat that loves him. Somebody in the chat that's grateful today that he covers you. Just to type up in that chat, say, I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm covered because he loves me. I'm covered because he cares for me. I'm covered for good. I'm covered, not by the things I try to weave together to create some temporary blocking for the reminder of my sinfulness, but I'm covered because of what Jesus has done. I am covered because of what is made available to me by grace through my faith. I am covered for good. And so my shame, even though the enemy, try, enemy may try to attack me with it, is invisible to me now. Because the one who loves me, my father in heaven, made a way for me to be covered. For good. See, it's all love when God warns you. And it's all love when God covers you. Because God's love can protect you from your present shame. And God's love, please write this down, can protect you from your potential suffering. God's love, when you receive it, it covers you. You are not what you did. You are not what you were. You are covered 
but it can protect you from your potential suffering. There are a lot of faulty assumptions made about the character of God from Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. This is the part where it says that God says we can't allow humanity to eat from the tree of life. Then they will literally live forever. They'd be just like us. And some people have taken this statement and tried to twist it to say then that God was trying to keep something from humanity, trying to oppress humanity, trying to not let humanity have all that would be good. And nothing could be further from the truth. Would you believe me if I told you that this was God protecting you from what would actually be horrible? We don't think of this much in this way. But death is a gift. Now I know as I say that, some of you are thinking about family and friends, people that you love that have passed away. And it still hurts you. Because sometimes you want to pick up the phone and call them. Sometimes you just want to shoot them a text. Sometimes you wish they could sit in your house and, and y'all could just talk and laugh and, and, and eat and drink and have fun like you used to together. And you can't do that anymore. And I understand that. And I'm not diminishing or trivializing the hurt and the loss that you may feel because there's someone that you love that is now gone. But if you could back up for a second and please recognize the condition of humanity, you might be able to see a little more clearly that death really is a gift. Because could you imagine living in this reality forever? I mean, we grieve as people begin to age and some of the strengths that they had in, in one season, they begin to lose as they get old. The travesty that is cancer the just horrible reality that Alzheimer's, dementia, that seeing people who maybe a few years earlier were strong and capable and full of life now barely be able to move, confined to a wheelchair. People who used to be so sharp, so brilliant in their mind, now have a tough time constructing sentences together. Could you imagine if that just went on into perpetuity? Disease and depravity and dysfunction with no end? What if God was actually loving humanity by protecting humanity from living in this forever? It may not make sense to you, but what if he was? See, as a parent, sometimes you have to do things for your children that they don't understand are for their good. Can I get an amen from any parent out there? You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you have to do things, not allow things, allow things for your children that they can't comprehend are for their good. Yet they are. My son has a very uh, limited selection of foods that he eats, right? And he's always been this way. He's just, he is not interested in trying, I could tell him it tastes good, I could tell him he's gonna love it, I could tell him whatever it would that would appeal to him. He just does not try different, he likes what he likes when he likes it and that's what he eats and he's been this way his whole life. But every once in a while he will sort of, one way or another, stumble into trying something new. And a few years ago, he stumbled into something new that he liked to consume. He got so excited about this. He got so excited because he had found something new that he liked to take in. It's called Fun Dip. Do you know what Fun Dip is? Fun Dip are those little packages of basically colored flavored sugar that has that stick on the inside and you tear open the package and you lick the stick and you put the stick in the sugar and then you lick the sugar off. 
It is literally a sack of sugar. That is what this thing is. And he discovered that he loves Fun Dip. So much so that he started thinking Fun Dip was actually food. <laughs> that Fun Dip could be a meal replacer. I remember one time asking him, saying, hey, son, have you eaten dinner? And he said, yes, I ate dinner. And so I was just double checking because I didn't hear the microwave go off because like what he likes to eat, usually he always has to warm up in the microwave. And I didn't hear the microwave go off. And I was like, well, I haven't heard of what, 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 what did you eat? And he said, I had two fun dips. And so as a parent, because I know that ain't good for him, because I know that ain't what's best for him. I know he's so excited about his palate expanding and his horizons being broadened. But baby, you can't live on Fun Dip. And so we had to we had to end Fun Dip in our house. We had to take away from like the five things that he liked. Now we were down to four. Take away something that he loved to eat because it wasn't good for him. Because if all you eat, if you start telling yourself, I can have Fun Dip for breakfast, and I can have Fun Dip for lunch, and I can have Fun Dip for dinner, you will find yourself in a place that ain't all that fun. Dippy, you know? And so sometimes you have to say, this ain't good. This is going to hurt you. And so it's in love that I'm telling you. It's in love that I'm trying to prevent you. It's in love that I'm drawing a line here. Hear me today. Some of what doesn't make sense to you is protection from God for you. Some of what you read in God's word that doesn't make sense to you. I know I have conversations with people all the time who want to take and turn, who want to twist and contort the scriptures to make them say something they do not say. And I really don't believe it's because they have a bad heart. I believe sometimes it's because they don't recognize how much God loves them. And some of you, that's you today. Some of you have such a problem with some of what you read in the scriptures. You say like what? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Can I tell you, a lot of people today push back on the sexual ethics of the scripture. What God says about sex and sexuality, you just want to dismiss. There are groups inflamed by what they have labeled purity culture, which in all that they've labeled within it, there is plenty of not good. But part of what they've thrown into that drawer is also the sexual ethics of the scripture. God has some very clear, very consistent thoughts about sex and sexuality. And he isn't saying them to take fun from people. He's not saying it because he's a prude. He's not saying it because he ain't just evolved and modernized the thing. He's saying it because he loves you. And he's trying to protect you from suffering. That's the reason Paul in the book of Corinthians in explaining sexual sin like goes in on it and he goes in on it in part because he says when you sin sexually, you sin not only like outside of yourself, but you sin to yourself. You hurt yourself. You didn't just break something between you and God. You broke something in you. So why would God communicate this? Because because he loves you and he doesn't want to see you hurt and he doesn't want to see you suffer and he knows how he made you. See, some people push back on the financial practices of the Bible. The Bible says a lot about giving. The Bible says a lot about saving. The Bible says a lot about earning. You know what the Bible says very little about? Spending. You know why? Because ain't nobody need instruction on that. But we don't know how to save. And so we become like the one who may earn a lot, but then spend it all as we earn it. Rather than be a good steward, like the ant who worked real hard, earned a lot, but learned how to save. 
It teaches us about giving. Why? Because when we become generous, it's our generosity that breaks the spirit that is on money off of us. And what you don't realize is that until you become generous, that spirit will sit on you and sit on your money and you'll never get ahead. Because you'll consume all you take in. But we don't like it because we think, well, God trying to get in my pocket and he's trying to make the church rich. And he just want to. I saw a TV preacher who had. God's trying to help you. He's trying to help me because he loves me. Some people like to push back at the exclusivity of Jesus. They read the scripture and Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. But yet we want to make it like it's somehow there are a bunch of ways to God. Listen to me. There is one way to the Father and his name is Jesus. There is one way to salvation and it is by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for you. And you can be nice to people who think differently than you. But baby, you need to understand that there is one way, one truth, one. But people don't like that. Why is God so restrictive? He's not restrictive. He's trying to tell you the truth because he loves you. See, every place where God is clear in his word and we push back, is a place where we believe our plan and our protection is better. But God's love can protect you from your potential suffering. See, because it's the love of God, write this down, friend, as we close, that says no for good. The reason that God says no is for your good. The reason that God says no to this, no to that, no to this way, no to this thinking, no to do, is because it is for your good, because he loves you. It's the love of God that says wait for later. Sometimes God says no for now, if you will. He says wait for later, because he understands that this ain't good for you right now. You can't handle this right now. That's not meant for you in that season of life. That state of life is meant for you in another season. It's the love of God. Because it's the love of God, ultimately, please write this down, that says yes forever. You know what God has said forever? I love you. I love you. I am love to you. I was love in the beginning when you fell. I was love by sending my son to cover you for good. I love you now when you heed my word and when you don't. When you follow my ways and when you don't. My love for you stays the same. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. See, because even when we were at our worst, God's love is there for our good. And there are some of you today listening to me right now that have never received his love. Maybe you've pushed back on God and the things of God because they didn't make sense to you. Please understand, maybe the reason they didn't make sense to you is because you don't know what love is. And I pray today the light bulb has gone off. I pray today the spirit of God has begun to work in your soul, that your heart is beginning to come alive to say, God really does love me. He really does have my best intentions at heart. He really does want good for me. His plans are for my good. And today I recognize that I need his love for the forgiveness of my sin. I can't cover it up with my own fig leaves no more. But I need his covering that is for good. And then there are some of you today who you've been trying to do things your way. Maybe you're someone who has prayed a prayer. In fact, conceptually, theologically, and even in your heart of hearts, you believe that salvation is by grace through faith. 
You are trying to put your faith in Jesus. But the truth is there are some practical realities that you won't submit to the fact that he knows better. He loves you enough to tell you the truth. He's trying to protect you from hurting, protect you from suffering, protect you from what you don't even see can and will destroy you. Today you need to repent. If either of those are you, would you allow me to pray with you and for you as you pray today? Come on, you can repeat these words with me if you want. But what I would love more than anything, and I believe moves the heart of God in a significant way, is when you call out to him the best you know how. Let's pray together. and Say, God, I thank you for your love, for loving me since the beginning, for loving me when I did not deserve it, for loving me when I failed, for loving me when I've messed up. Thank you for loving me. Today, Jesus, I receive your covering for my sin. God, I know that you love me. And today, I declare my love for you. I believe that Jesus died for me and that his blood covers my sin for good. And today, Jesus, I receive your salvation for my sin. Father, today I pray for every person who needs to repent in this moment who needs to recognize where they have not trusted your love for them, who needs to recognize where they have not trusted your grace to them, who needs to recognize where they have not seen you as the loving father that you are, maybe because of their own relationship with their father. But we don't put what our father was on you. We recognize that you want what's best for us. You don't want us to suffer. And that's why you warn us and that's why you correct us. And that's why you're patient with us. And so, Father, today we receive your forgiveness. And, Father, we ask for your strength and your help to follow you in your ways every day. Whether we understand it fully or not, we trust you because we know that you love us. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your powerful, precious, and mighty name. And every person said, amen.